It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Greetings and welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That is 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto. And of course, you could be listening on the Radio Player Canada app anywhere across the country. If you download the app and type in 95.7 E-L-M-N-T-F-M or 106.5 E-L-M-N-T-F-M and just follow the uh, directions and uh, you could be listening on your device of choice, as I say, anywhere across the country, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And that might come in handy with our next guest who is, uh, I believe, in the Winnipeg area. And it's a pleasure to have Mr. Chad Anderson, who is a stand-up comic on the line. Uh, he's released uh, a debut live at We Johnny's uh, CD, and he's here to uh, share some of his humor and some of his stories about uh, about his humor and, uh, I guess, how he got into it. So, Chad, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So, listen, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself in terms of how you got into the to the comedy uh, realm of things. I always find it interesting to to find out how people end up going in that direction. Yeah, uh, I guess for myself, um, I mean, I've always loved making people laugh. I, I loved uh, the attention mm. as a kid of uh, being kind of the class clown or goofing off and, and seeing that it, I would get reactions from my classmates and Maybe not so great reactions from my teachers, but uh, I enjoyed that. And, and then as I got older, I started watching stand-up comedy, and uh, I really, really enjoyed watching that. And it was always kind of just something that was probably in the back of my mind, like, oh, I'd like to try that. And um, I think when I was 17, there was this contest called the Great Canadian Laugh-Off, Um where people would submit videos of themselves doing stand-up bits in their home, like just from their like early 2000s webcams, you know, in mm. front of their computers. And I remember watching those. I didn't enter the contest, but I remember watching all the entrants and just kind of being like, oh, I, I feel like I could be better than that. Um, and then, uh, but unfortunately I was, I was 17, so I wasn't uh, eligible to enter the contest. And then, when I moved from the Paw, Manitoba, to Winnipeg, Manitoba, I was just sitting around at home one day, and I had the, the thought just crossed my mind, like, oh, yeah, stand-up comedy. This I bet you I could figure out how to do it here. And so I just Googled, how do you become a stand-up comedian? And it came up right away. Just, uh, right, right five minutes, um, call or find your local comedy club or comedy venue and email them about when their next amateur night is. So I... I emailed them, and it was Rumors Comedy Club here in Winnipeg, and uh, they got back to me right away and said, you know, we're having an uh, an amateur night or an open mic night coming up in August, and uh, we'll put you on. So that's kind of where it all started, and yeah, I just, uh, okay, so the moment I, yeah. So I was just wondering then, can you take us back to that moment then? Uh, you got in, you called up, you got in. Yeah. Uh, was that frightening for you to get up on stage and, and deliver your, your material? Yeah, absolutely. It was. I, uh, I, I had two friends. Um, they drove me there. And uh, I literally have to go down 
these a set of stairs into a basement to get into the club and i remember just sitting down at the top of the stairs and just asking like ah man do you think we could just go i don't want to do this and they were both just kind of like uh no man we drove you here and we came to see you do this so you have to do it and i was so nervous uh my friend he said like yeah he was like when you got on stage you were visibly shaking like visibly <laughs> shaking and nervous but he said you know once once your first punchline hit and people laughed, you like it was like your whole body relaxed and mm. you just got into it. And I, I remember that feeling. I remember just saying my first joke and, and through the first setup of the joke, I don't remember what it was. Right. I just remember the, the 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 like getting the first couple lines of it in and and it's quiet in there. No one's really saying anything. And then I hit that punchline and they laughed. And I felt I I will always cherish that moment of just like oh, they're laughing and how great it felt. And, uh, and just like in that instant being like, this is it. This is what I want to do with mm. the rest of my life. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. You know, I guess the other thing is you were, you were saying that I was thinking of because you are in a live environment, it, it's very much uh, that you are there present with, of course, the audience. And it really relies on how you, uh, you are doing by the reaction of, of course, your your audience, and I yeah. guess uh, sometimes you, you got to be able to read the audience. You got to be able to read um, that that uh, uh, what's the mood in there that night. I guess. Absolutely, yeah, and I mean, as a as a new comic, you don't really have that sense mm-hmm. um, right out right out of the gate, mm-hmm. and it it's hard. I mean, I got lucky my first time; people responded pretty great to it, and then I had a lot of sets were not so great you know and and in those uh early early days the first year for sure is uh you write your heart out you know you 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 come up with this five minutes that you think is gonna be great and then it doesn't go well and you're like well i don't have anything else so i guess i'm just gonna put my head down and power through this and learn from it you know at, at, at the in the in the moment, you're not thinking you're going to learn from it. You're just like, I got to get through this because I have nowhere else to go. You know, <laughs> but now I've been doing it for almost 12 years now. And uh, I'd like to think that I'm pretty good at reading a room and, and walking into a, a club or a venue or a, a theater and and being able to gauge right off the bat. Like, OK, I'll start with this, mm. you know, this kind of joke. And if they laugh at that, I'll keep going with that. And if they don't, I won't. I won't panic. I'll just uh, switch to something else, and, and we'll figure it out. Right now, now, Chad. The other thing you mentioned you you were originally from the Paw. You you have yeah. an indigenous background, um, yeah. and and uh, but what's interesting, of course, is that uh, I think you, along with with many other indigenous people, uh, can get uh, b- because of the variety of. Uh, combinations that indigenous people find themselves mixed in, in with heritage, uh, we, we, yeah. we, can, we can look many different uh, ways. Um, and for yeah. you, uh, I, I see that, that for you, uh, you've been mistaken uh, being Latino in many instances. But you're using, yeah. you've, you, you're using that in a positive way to add to your material. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is, uh, it's, to me, it's funny to just, walk in somewhere and you can tell right away people are like oh what is this guy you know mm. um and and especially for myself i have a white mother and my my dad is uh full indigenous and uh and so i think like in summertime people are when i'm at my most brown people are like oh okay you're definitely not white and then in the winter months when i'm like a weird 
grayish color, <laughs> uh, not quite white, not quite brown. You know, uh, people are still looking at you like, ah, I feel there's something, there's something about you, you know, and it's almost, it, it's, it's great to draw on material from that. Uh, but sometimes it's a little bit of a double-edged sword because mm-hmm. you, you get on stage and people look at you and immediately they want you to talk about what what you look like you know like their brain immediately and and not in a a, a racist or or a, an ignorant way they're that's just how we're wired you know mm. you see someone who looks different you're like oh i want that person to talk about that thing mm. you know address it and mm. then and then do your other stuff um so yeah sometimes it's it's a little hard to to be like well i don't want to talk about my race today i just want to talk about you know my, my girlfriend or my dog right. or whatever the joke i've been working on is right and who says we're the we're the different ones, right? Why can't be reversed? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, listen. Having said that, um, you you also use that you mentioned about uh, about white folks, and and you 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 poke fun and you have fun with with uh, uh, um, uh, Caucasian people about their knowledge or lack thereof of indigenous people and culture and history and those kind of things. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, I find, uh, especially, you know, lately in the last couple of years, um, mostly non-Indigenous audiences or, or mostly white audiences are more receptive to talking about those kind of things or, or not necessarily talking about them or listening to uh, an Indigenous comedian or a person of color or, you know, someone from the queer community mm-hmm. um, talk about their issues and, and not feel like, oh, no, we have to clam up and be on the edge of our seats because uh we feel uncomfortable you know mm. like we're we're uh we're living in a time where it's it, things are changing and, and you can talk about those things and um for myself i know like even if i feel like maybe i went too far or i'm pushing the audience a little too far i can i've found ways to uh, address the awkwardness and you know and, and uh bring them back onto my side because at the end of the day i'm not I'm not up there um, telling Caucasian people that they're bad or mm. that I hate them. You know, I'm, I'm just saying I don't like what some of you do to us. That's right. that's what I'm saying. And and most people who go to a comedy show um, are people who are, um, I guess, for lack of a better term, liberal-minded people. You know, um, yeah. Now I know one of the one of the stories or one of the bits that I heard you do that I thought was was uh, quite uh, humorous in terms of your uh, you know bringing bringing uh, uh, white people into the mix in terms of of using uh, and it, it's it all in fun uh, that I, I but I really like that scene I think it was in a car you were with some guys and and uh, an eagle showed up or something and and you used yeah. to really milk that one to the, with them and it was like pretty funny yeah. Yeah, uh, that's uh, that was that's probably one of my favorite bits that I've that I've written, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it it is true. Like it, <laughs> um, and I don't know what it is about eagles and white people, but they're always like, "Oh, an eagle! Hey, native guy, look, there's an eagle there! Isn't that that means something to you? Doesn't it? Like, ah, it means that there's an eagle over there. That's what that means, <laughs> you know? Like, not everything has to have this great meaning, you guys. And I I get it. It's it's nice that they're like um they're trying to understand our culture and um and be uh accepting of it but it's not all eagles <laughs> yeah there are other there are other animals all right right 
but 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 it is like you said. Uh, it's it's sort of fun to uh, sort of use that that situation, uh, even in good fun, uh, when you're with those people to to egg them on a little bit. I, I guess you might say to pull them in and, and uh, lead them down the road of what it might mean, and you take them on that little trip in this in this uh, little skit that you did about that, uh, where where you you lead them on a little bit. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you know, you gotta at the end of the day, you gotta have fun, and uh, you can't. Uh, I think where I draw a lot of my inspiration from when I'm, especially when I'm talking about uh, cultural issues or, or race relations, is uh, I like to draw on just uh, not how not the hatred side of it, just the the ridiculousness of it, you know, it's just um, the ignorance and, and not necessarily hateful ignorance, just people, they don't, they don't know, mm. you know? Um, and so it's, it's fun to poke fun of that. And, and just to, for, for myself, um, when I'm talking about race relations or anything like that, you know, I find that uh, if I'm, if I'm relating an experience where I experienced uh, racism, then I'm, I'm taking the power back from the people who were being racist to me by being like, no, I'm fine. And I find it ridiculously funny that this is what you believe, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and just goes to show like, we, yeah, I think, um, as indigenous people, we were pretty good at, uh, at not taking those things and carrying them around with us forever. You know, we, uh, we, we've adapted to the circumstances that were put in and uh, we've found this beautiful sense of humor, you know, and, uh, and I think, yeah, I, I think it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, you're right, right, right about the uh, the sense of humor. It's something that is uh, uh, used a lot and is uh, very prevalent in in indigenous communities. I love Winnipeg, though. I've uh, I'm not originally from here, but I've lived here for uh, for over a decade now, uh, and I, I love I love Winnipeg. I left for four months this summer to move to Toronto uh, because um, my girlfriend broke up with me and I'm a very mature 31-year-old man. <laughs> she broke up with me and I was like, oh, I can't be here, and I went to Toronto. <laughs> and then about a week into living into Toronto, she called me and said she made a mistake, so I moved back. Uh, it was a very expensive ploy. <laughs> well, it paid off, though. I'm in debt, but it worked. <laughs> we broke up, man, uh, uh, for four months. Uh, well, no, it was like two months. Um, but it was it was really heartbreaking for me because it, it it was unexpected when we broke up. I thought things were going well, uh, and then one day she was like, "Hey, do you want to come over to my place?" And I was like, "Yeah, for sure." So I went to her place, um, and she lives on the second floor of a condo. And so I texted her, I was like, "Hey, I'm outside," and she came down. And she was like, hey, can you uh, help me? I have a dresser in the backseat of my car, and I need to get it in. So I was like, yeah, for sure. I'm your boyfriend. This is what I do. So I carried this dresser up this two floors uh, and put it in her bedroom. And then we went into the living room, and we sat down. And I was like, hey, do you, want, do you still want to go to my parents' place this weekend? And she was like, actually, um, I don't love you anymore, and I think we should break up. <laughs> Yeah, I wasn't even mad, though, because that's just smart on her part. Uh, just before we go further, I just want to let everyone know that you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That is 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. And uh, you could be listening online if you download the Radio Player Canada app and type in 106.5 ELMNTFM or 95.7 ELMNTFM. 
Uh, also on our website, and we do uh, upload our uh, our interviews to our SoundCloud and on the website, and you can listen to them at uh, any uh, at any time if you go there. And uh, it takes a couple of days to get them up there, but you're welcome to go back and listen to the and share and let people know that they're up there if they missed it or someone outside of our listening area, immediate listening area, that is. My guest is Chad Anderson. He is a comedian, and uh, he has released a, a, a live CD at Wee Johnny's in uh, in Winnipeg. He's on the line from Winnipeg. It's a pleasure to have him on the line. Uh, uh, Chad, one of the things um, you also use in your in your sense of humor, um, social commentary, and and per, you use personal tragedy, you use racism and, and nostalgia memes. And uh, I understand you you use uh, you put a jab at uh, at the Ontario uh, Premier Doug Ford. <laughs> yeah, um, I did. Yeah, because. I think I had thought of um, I had thought of that the, the specific bit that you're referring to. Um, it, it, at first, it wasn't about Doug Ford. I think it just was perfect timing where I had been engaged in an online argument or had read an online argument of white people being like, "White, pri- white privilege doesn't exist. White mm. privilege doesn't exist." And then looking at like the the main people who who would constantly argue against it um, and uh, and just saying, like, um, you know, it's always these, like, super sketchy white guys who are like, I don't get respect. For, well, that means white privilege doesn't exist, you know? And I'm like, well, no, it does. You're just not benefiting from it because you steal from Rexall, you know, um, and, and do drugs. And then it, it kind of just, like, hit me. I'm like, oh, yeah, Ontario literally just elected a guy who is not qualified to be in that position, you know, and, and, uh, there were rumors that he was, a he was a, a drug dealer in high school or whatever. So I just kind of put the two together and was like, uh, yeah, if you, if you cleaned up a bit, Terry, you could, uh, you could have the world or at, mm. at least become the premier of Ontario. <laughs> right. Um, now, uh, as I said, you, you also use uh, stereotypes. Uh, now you said personal tragedy, what kind of personal tragedy would you, be able to pull into a, a humor um i mean yeah i i uh i have a a pretty long bit about uh about my father passing away mm. and uh it was pretty fresh it was it was that year that he had uh he had passed and um you know i i think my way of dealing with things uh which might not be the healthiest um but it's always been to find the humor in the situation um and so i i just uh i had already had been working on some bits before he had passed away about just uh how i had been you know driving him to his cancer care appointments and how it was awkward because he uh was hard of hearing and then also he didn't him and my mom didn't raise me um, and so, um, but I always knew him, you know, and then he had his addiction issues and, and struggled with alcohol a bit. And, uh, and so I've been working on some of those bits, uh, and then he passed and I kind of was like, ah, oh, I don't know if I want to talk about that per se as much. Um, but, you know, I, I really want to talk about him passing away and, and how it affected me and I want to find the humor in it. And I, you know, um, yeah, so I just kind of, you know, I, I'd lead the bit by telling the audience that my dad died, which is like a huge, like, every, you could just feel the room, like, clam up, like, oh, what, why are you talking about this, mm-hmm. you know? And, and then I go, uh, 
but I think he's haunting me, mm. uh, which is weird because he was never around when I was a kid. <laughs> um, and then that, that little thing just kind of loosens them up and they're mm. like, Oh, okay, well we're all, you know, and mm. then, uh, and then just getting into the whole, uh, the experience of, of planning his funeral and, and being at the wake and, mm. and being a pallbearer and, and waiting for that, the opportunity, you know, to, to have a cry about it. And in mm. all the instances where the, where that opportunity was spoiled by my drunk cousin, Corey. Um, and uh, I don't want to give away too much of the bit, sure. <laughs> sure. but, uh, yeah, I, I find, you know, it was just, uh, it was something, it was, it was, a. Uh, to be honest, I knew when I was writing it and the first couple of times that I was uh, trying it out at open mics, I'm like, this is either going to fall super flat or mm. they're going to be receptive to it. And mm. uh, luckily, I, I figured out a way to, to word it and, and share that experience and, and have the audience, you know, be on board with it and, and be okay mm. um, with talking about a subject uh, like death and, and, and losing a parent. Um, and I think that, you know, we can all relate. We've all lost people, and, mm. and many of us have lost parents, uh, grandparents. So I think uh, once once you get past the initial shock of like, why is this guy talking about death? And like, oh no, this is this is relatable. You know, mm -hmm. these things happen, and and uh, and this guy's sharing his his experience with it. Yeah. And now, were you always connected to your uh, your culture when you grew up? No, I I, uh, I wasn't. Um, it's actually so. My my dad was uh, born uh, in the Apaskawak Cree Nation, and when he was uh, a baby, he was adopted by a white family. My uh, my grandpa and grandma um, adopted him, and uh, he uh, yeah he grew up literally across the river uh, on the town side, you know, and and didn't know his his family. Mm. Um, until when I was six, I remember like his birth family found him and, and they reconnected and, uh, but it wasn't, you know, there wasn't that super closeness between us and them. And, um, and I played hockey with my cousins a lot without knowing that they were cousins until like, you know, I, I got older and then, um, one of my uncles, uh, my uncle Shorty, who is a, a great guy, he kind of, you know, was just started introducing me to people and, um, and there was that, but yeah, I, I grew up, you know, across, across the river, going to the white school and, and hanging out with all the white kids. And, uh, and so I didn't grow up, uh, and I don't blame anyone for, for my, uh, not growing up with my culture. Um, and what, what ended up having was the family that adopted my dad, um, when him and my mom weren't able to take care of my sister and I, his sister, his adoptive sister and her husband um, adopted me and my sister. And so we kind of, it, you know, it, it's kind of funny, the parallel between like, you see like native kids being raised by their aunt and uncles on the reserve. And it was, it's kind of, to me, I like, I struggle about that. I'm like, yeah, I've never felt, uh, like I've been super connected as a kid, but when I think I'm like, Oh, I had an auntie mom and an uncle dad. That's if that's not the most res thing in the world, then I don't know. You know, uh, it's just the fact that they were, they were white. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't get to grow up learning about it and get to grow up having it passed down to me. And, uh, a number of years ago, one of another, uh, indigenous comedian in Winnipeg, uh, one of my, one of my great friends, Paul Roblowskis and, uh, Florence Spence, uh, another great indigenous comedian, Florence, they 
they go to a Sundance and they invited me out to just check out uh, one of the meetings to prepare for Sundance. And uh, I just, I ended up pledging to dance this year or that year. And and, uh, that was kind of like my journey where my journey began of of getting reconnected Mm. to the culture. Nice. I appreciate you sharing that. Now, are, are you still uh, involved with We Johnny's uh, doing uh, the, the uh, every Friday, third Friday of the month, uh, doing stuff there? Yeah, I uh, I run a show there called uh, Comedy All Stars, mm-hmm. and so every month I I pick six six of uh, six comedians who have been you know killing it the month leading up, working hard and, and going out to all the open mics and and just. Uh, showing that they're dedicated to comedy and, and I, who I feel deserve a chance to get a longer set and, and showcase that and, and maybe make a little bit of money. You know, it's not anything spectacular, but it's a couple bucks in your pocket and mm-hmm. you get, uh, you get a full crowd and, and, uh, and I get to, I get to host it, you know, and, and pick them. And, uh, it's, 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 it's good. Mm-hmm. I like, I like it. How's that? How's that make you feel? Uh, you know, thinking back to when you first started and you were doing that, and and sort of coming full circle now, you're hosting this for for other young, uh, you know, startup uh, uh, comedians that are coming in to do that. Uh, how, how when you see this, you know, you see the maybe that that same look you had when you got on stage, or or when you see this this new talent coming in that is starting to try and develop their skills. Um, what goes through your mind, you know, when you're there and you're hosting this? Because you want to be obviously encouraging to these people, and you probably get to see some some really interesting uh, talent as well. Yeah, I I mean it's it's pretty satisfying for me to to be able to give back to the community that got me started, and also to see this community in Winnipeg um, blossoming, and, and there's so many great comedians here right now. You know, compared to when I'm when I started comedy, there there were like two or three handfuls of comedians that were out regularly um, going to open mics and doing shows, and uh, and so it's nice to see you know like the core group of, of of comedians that started are now you know we're we're gaining success, and and now we can give back to the community and uh, and help the the younger generation. Um, pursue it and um you know i have a lot to to thank to uh one of the open mics that was around when i when i first uh, started and you know he was uh he was an older older community uh, older comedian and and he took it seriously and uh he he uh he wanted you to take it seriously and if you didn't think that you were taking it seriously he was hard on you and uh and i you know i i uh, i really blo- I, I blossomed from that um from that kind of uh, taking, I don't know, what would we call it? Yeah, taking under the wing or, or, or Mentorship. just pushing, you know? It mm. was, uh, yeah, it wasn't, uh, it's just like, he was like, listen, man, I, I uh, nothing against you as a person, but if you're not going to take this seriously, I don't want you here. Mm. And, uh, and that pushed me, you know? And it, it maybe in my first two years, I, I it pushed me to get better because I was like, you know, like screw this guy. I, I'm, I got to show prove to him mm. uh, that I'm better than he thinks. And, uh, and, and uh, it was maybe out of spite. And then um, looking back now, I'm like, no, that, that made me a better comedian. It made that mm. tough love made me better. And, and he became one of, you know, one of my best friends. Right. Um, right. And uh, yeah. So uh, I've a, I've a lot to owe to him. Right. Um, 
And so, so Chad, the other thing I, I, I noticed you've done is you, you've toured, toured across Canada. You've had, the, obviously, the Winnipeg uh, Comedy Festival, the Old Block Comedy Festival, the Arctic Air Comedy Festival. And uh, you were part yeah. of Mary Walsh's Canada It's Complicated, a cast member of that as well. Yeah. Yeah, I've been very fortunate to, uh, to have some amazing opportunities to, to see, you know, just everything that Canada has to offer. Um, I, I had the opportunity to, you know, tour reserves in Northern Quebec and, uh, all over Manitoba and Saskatchewan and BC. And then I got to see Canada's complicated, which was, uh, so amazing to go from the East coast. And I got to live in, uh, St. John's Newfoundland for a month and I had never been out there before. So that was, you know, a, a great experience for me to be out there for the rehearsal for, for this live sketch comedy show that was also something that I had never done and it was out of my comfort zone. And there were times where I would text my girlfriend and be like, oh, I don't think I can do this. Like I want to come home. And, <laughs> and she was like, no, just, just keep doing it. You're just uncomfortable. Mm. You know, you're a stand comedian and now you're in the mix with all these theater and, and sketch comedy people you know what they're doing and you feel, you feel inadequate. And, uh, but Mary Walsh asked you to come for mm. a reason. Mm. And so, uh, yeah, I, you know, and and looking back now, it was yeah, it was it was amazing. I got to I got to do something and and find a new love, a new comedy uh, aspect of comedy that I love, which is is uh, sketch comedy and acting and and uh, and so I'm pursuing that a little bit more now. And and um, it was yeah, it was yeah. I got to went from coast to coast to coast. You know, mm-hmm. what more did you ask for? And, right. and uh, well, it was a long time to be away from home. I was gone for three months, but it was worth it in the end for yeah. sure. All right, Chad, it's been a pleasure chatting with you and uh, having you on the show. We appreciate you taking the time to do so and we wish you all the best in the future. Uh, I think we're going to go out with a little clip from you uh, to end the show, but don't go away because right after that clip, we're going to come back with more right here on Moment of Truth and Element FM. He's my dad, all right? I can say what I want. I loved him. I loved him. Here's the thing. My dad and my mom didn't raise me and my sister. Uh, we were adopted by our aunt and uncle. Uh, but we knew our parents our whole life. And I, I love both of my, uh, both my parents. I love my dad. Um, and, uh, and when he died, um, I, was like, I was like, okay, like, you're very sad. You need to cry. But I couldn't, the day it happened, I just couldn't cry. And I was like, you know what, bro, it'll come. You know what I mean? Like, you just got to get that, you just got to get that cry out to feel better about, like, the bad things in your life that's happening. Uh, so I, I went back uh, to my hometown uh, to help with like funeral stuff, and my family was like, hey, maybe you could do the eulogy. And um, I was like, yeah, sure. They're like, we just thought because you do comedy that you could do it. And I was like, I don't think those things go together. <laughs> but I could try. I could definitely try. I started smoking weed again. Yeah, not related to the last thing. <laughs> But I did, uh, and I just realized that I'm recording an album, and a lot of my family doesn't know that I started smoking weed again. Uh, Mom, I'm sorry. Because uh, <laughs> here's the thing: I was sober. I've been sober. I was sober for eight years, completely sober. Thank you. I'm not anymore. I don't. Don't deserve it. Uh, you listened. I started smoking weed again. Uh, well, one day about a month ago, I was sitting at home. And I was like, man, eight years is a long time to be bored. So I started smoking weed. 
Uh, no, that's not why. I started. I I I had been dealing with a little bit of anxiety and trouble sleeping at night, and uh, as a like a recovering addict, I didn't want to take pills for that because I I knew I'd be at risk to abuse those. So I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna smoke weed. I talked with it. I talked about it with my girlfriend, and we agreed that we could give that a try, and that if I got out of hand, she would let me know. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto. And as I have told you before, you can download the Radio Player Canada app and type in 95.7 ELMNTFM or 106.5 ELMNTFM and listen on your device of choice anywhere across the country 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And if you're outside of our listening area, you can go to our uh, our website and or our SoundCloud where you can uh, catch our previously recorded uh, interviews and uh, also, as I say, listen online outside of our listening area. Now, that could come in handy with our guest, uh, Scavenati, who is on the line. She is a multimedia artist who also happens to be Mohawk from Gawanati. Uh, from uh, uh, from Ga- God, I can't even speak mm. now. From Ganawage, and uh, she is uh, from that territory, and she holds a BFA from Concordia University in Montreal. So, Skamanadi, uh, it's a pleasure to have you here, Nyawa, for for coming on the line with us. Gwegwe, Nyawa, for having me. It's a pleasure, as I said. Now, I have to tell you right off the top that in preparing for this interview. Uh, and going to the websites that you're associated with in some of the things we're going to talk about, I really like your artist website. I really love the way that's set up and and how you have to navigate through it, uh, touching on different things. Very clever. Very nicely done. Yeah, I'll go. You know, it's funny because my 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 partner, who's also my husband, mm. is like, I don't. I think it's too hard to navigate. You should get a more simple website. <laughs> <laughs> and I said. People who are going to go to my website are smart. They're going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm glad I could back you up on that one. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, so, listen, uh, I'm just going to tell people a little bit more about uh, what you are and what you do. Uh, you are the uh, co-director with uh, Jason E. Lewis at the Aboriginal Territory, uh, Territories of in Cyberspace. And the abbreviation of that is AB. TEC. It's a research network of artists, academics, and technologists investigating, creating, and uh, 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 pardon me, critiquing indigenous virtual environments, which is very cool. And I did check that out a little bit as well. But you're also uh, you co-direct the uh, workshops for them and the uh, storytelling and digital media. Uh, now uh, there is a number of different things, as I say, you're involved with. Uh, yeah. And I'm not sure. Why don't we start with with uh, that uh, Aboriginal or Indigenous territories in cyberspace? Where yes. did, where did all of this start for you? Let's go back a little bit. Where did all this mm-hmm. start for you in terms of wanting to uh, utilize that kind of an environment to to share and uh, update stories, take them into the future by looking at the past as well? Uh, mm-hmm. How did all this come about? So the answer to that question starts. Quite a long time ago, when I was going to university uh, in the, boy, started in the late 80s, (laughs) at that time, you know, our school supplies, I was in design art in the fine arts, and our school supplies were like rapidograph pens and French curves, Mm. you know, pencils, erasers, paper, Mm. and people weren't yet using computers the way they do today. Mm -hmm. And in our third year, we had 
the computer as a design tool. And I I just loved it. I just couldn't I just just loved it. I couldn't believe how what you could do with a computer even back then, which was a lot less than you can do now. Mm. So I continued um exploring that on my own once I graduated. And eventually I came across uh well I was I was I would attend these Wired Women evenings from Studio X here in Montreal. They were another kind of artist-run center, production center. And uh, they would, in these Wired Women evenings, they would present new technologies, new software, all kinds of techniques. And one time they showed this online virtual world called Palace. Mm. And that was really exciting to me, too. I thought that that would be a great way for Ungwe Hume to talk to one another across this vast land known as Turtle Island. Mm. And um and so I I started making I started this project called Cyber Powwow and connected up in indigenous artists who were making who were you know working in this medium or were lear- were interested at least because of course not many people were working in it at the time. Mm. You know, so were who were interested in working in like online environments or digital art, all kind of all that stuff, new media. And uh, that went on for quite a while. I was able to uh, get the support of other artist-run centers, and I got some, some, some Canada Council funding, I think, at one point. And so um, I was able to ask, basically I asked other artists and writers to create work that would go in this online environment. So when we were doing this, we realized that we were creating an aboriginally determined space, an aboriginally determined territory mm. in cyberspace. And that's where the term abtech, the name of our research network, came from. It came from you know, what we learned during that time doing cyber powwow. Mm. Um, yeah. And then somewhere in there along the way, you asked also, uh, where the whole indigenous futurism thing started. And for me, I mean, I was always interested in science fiction <laughs> since I was really young, like both watching it, like Star Wars and Star Trek, but also reading it. I used to read everything I could get my hands on in that uh, genre. And um, But it, it took me a long time to realize that, uh, hey, there are never any indigenous people <laughs> in the future. Why is that, you know? <laughs> And I kind of, I kind of realized that you know, for the majority of writers, you know, indigenous people represented the past. Like we were a literary device mm. to represent the past. Mm. And um, but I started to, you know, I just there's lots of things I've thought, you know, in the meantime, you know, for example, like we have such terrible statistics still, mm. even though we're doing great, greater than ever. We still have the highest suicide rate. We still have the highest incarceration rate. We still have the highest high school dropout rate. So, you know, I was wondering, well, maybe, you know, could it be because we don't see ourselves in the future? Mm. And so I, um, loving the future and loving making imagery and being an artist, I thought, oh, maybe that's something I can do, you know. And I don't think I'm predicting the future. But I like the idea of, I do like the idea of mostly creating environments or images of a great future, a future in which Hungwe are thriving, you know. Mm. And uh but yeah, so so that's where that came and also also in there somewhere in all those decades now of of work and thought um you know, we 
I started to see digital technologies and new media and all that as a metaphor for the future. And I just wanted to make sure, along with Jason, we wanted to make sure that you know Indigenous people were there. So both creating imagery but also making sure that we were working with these tools, making sure that you know we um, empowered young people who are really the future, <laughs> you know, to to feel like they could um, they could be producers and not just consumers of different these different products. So the workshops you mentioned, they're called the Skins Workshops in Aboriginal or Indigenous, where you know, mm-hmm. as the name changes, <laughs> storytelling and experimental digital media. But what we really do mostly is teach uh, teach them how to make video games. I mean, they're we give them a kind of video game 101, you know, course. Like they get to learn all the parts of a video game, all the things you need to know to make a video game, mm-hmm. and do a little bit of each of that, um, and uh, and realize that it's within their capability to do that. So by making these games, uh, I imagine there's an interactive element of them uh, to them, of course. Um, and, and, and what you've done, uh, to some degree, as I've seen from some of, some of these is that you, you have taken things like, uh, uh you know, like the, uh, um, the sky world story and, and, uh, and those kind of things, uh, peacemaker returns, you know, and, and you're, you're sort of retelling them, uh, by, are you, are you looking to, with, in doing that, are you looking to attract indigenous youth or uh, just keep the stories alive? Are you looking to attract non-indigenous people to these stories and give them a, a, new, a new way to look at them? So let me just back, back up for a second and let you know that those are not the games. Okay. Those, are, those are my artwork. Oh, okay. So Excuse me, I'm getting them all mixed yeah. up because they, you know, uh, they, they look like they all tie in together. They, well, you know, it's, I mean, it's my life, so, <laughs> you know, it's all related. Yeah. You know, but, yeah, those, so those, um, those are not games. They're, they're movies. Yes. And they're, they're technique, you, the technique used to make them is called machinima. Yeah. And they're, they're movies shot in a virtual world like a video game. Mm-hmm. So with the ones you just mentioned, She Falls for Ages is a sci-fi retelling of the Haudenosaunee creation story, mm-hmm. and then The Peacemaker Returns is a sci-fi retelling of the Haudenosaunee Confederation story. Mm. Um, and yeah, I, I am looking, I am very interested in telling these stories to preserve them for our people, but I am definitely interested in non-Haudenosaunee people listening to them and learning about them. I mean, both of them are such incredible stories. Uh, that are profound can have a profound effect on on a life. You know, I think uh, especially well both both of them. But you know, in the for example, in the peacemaker returns, uh, you know, the peacemaker, the individual uh, is that story is so amazing. And I just even in that twenty minutes, I've only told a small part of it. Mm. But the story that you know, imagine there's like these whole nations that hate each other. They've been fighting for as long as they can remember. And this guy comes and he convinces them that they should live like one family. And he doesn't just do that. I mean, so this is what I don't cover in the story, but he gives them tools for consensus building. 
And I think that this is so amazing and, and so important in our world today. You know, I think that if we could look back and remember and, and sort of pull back out these teachings, they could be useful in today's society. So what I'm talking about on a more, uh, I think metaphorical is the right word, or meta level, meta level, <laughs> is not just, okay, this is a great story, um, but and not just, oh, Native people in the future, but also how, and not just Native people thriving, but also how our teachings can affect the world today and can be useful and can be applied and can be, you know, taken up by all society. Sure. Yep, uh, I hear you on that one for sure. Uh, and, and it would be great if that were to happen because that knowledge is there, it's available, and it could teach uh, in so many ways. Uh, yeah. uh, for this struggling world that we find ourselves in to uh, live uh, more in line in, with a good mind and also with, uh, with just getting along better. Yes. So I appreciate what you're saying there, and I thank you for that. So um, now uh, going, going back to your artistry, I want to go back to your website for a minute because, mm-hmm. as I mentioned... Uh, I love the way you have to navigate across that, and, and it connects you to different things that uh, that you are involved with. Um, the yeah. the uh, the movies that we're talking about um, mm-hmm. is that the time traveler section where you click onto that. That's one of them. Yeah, that's another one. So that that was the first Machinima project mm-hmm. I did, and okay. it's got nine episodes. So it's like nine little movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. So then. Um, the, the other part of your website, and I, and it's great because when you click on this, the elephant part, when you click yep. there, that takes you and it shows you a whole lot of other artists and other people involved and, and things that you're involved with there. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, Elephant is a gallery that mm-hmm. represents a number of artists. We don't work together with okay. different artists. We don't collaborate. Okay. Um, yeah, so that I put in there because it was one way for you to see... M- some of my still images that I create mm-hmm. um, that I call machinimographs because mm-hmm. if you make a movie in a virtual world, it's called a machinima. So maybe if you take a picture in a virtual world, it should be called a machinimograph. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, and it's also a way if somebody wanted to buy my work, they could <laughs> go there and find out how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Listen, I'm going to jump in and just let everyone know that you're listening to Element FM. This is Moment of Truth and uh, Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto. And uh, also on the Radio Player Canada app, download the app and type in 95.7 ELMNTFM or 106.5 ELMNTFM. And you could be listening anywhere across the country on your device of choice, uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, my guest is, uh, is is on the line to us, and uh, uh, Skawanadi, she's an artist. Uh, she's involved with many uh, things. Uh, she's the co-founder and co-director, along with Jason Edward Lewis, uh, of the multifaceted uh, uh, efforts they work with in artwork, uh, writing lectures, workshops, and, and a bunch of different things, the Aboriginal territories and cyberspace, 
uh, which we've been talking about and some of the things they've been uh, doing there. Um, let's go on, Adi. The question I have for you as I was thinking about all this and what you're doing with creating those uh, cyber uh, spaces, you know, I, I know uh, some other people that are involved with creating uh, areas where our people have touched the earth, lived, uh, and, and significant areas uh, that have and are still being sort of documented. You know, plaques are being put up, um, uh, and, and there's walking paths, uh, the moccasin uh, trails and those kind of things where uh, they're being identified. And I was, I was thinking how cool this would be if, and maybe you're, maybe you're thinking of this as you go forward, about uh, using augmented reality. And I've, I've sort of mentioned this uh, to, to people about doing that as well, so that nothing needs to sort of be created. But if people, you know, they're always taking their phones, they're taking pictures, you pull out your phone and, uh, you, you know, connect on this QR code and it brings up this augmented reality image for you that you can do a 360 of, you can maybe walk through, you can see the past in the present uh, using this future technology. Um, is, is that something that, that you think might work well with, with the kind of stuff you're doing? Uh, I'm not super interested in that. <laughs> okay. I mean, what, for myself to be making that. Yeah. Um, I definitely think it's, it's, you know, it's super worthwhile for somebody to do that, to take that on. Um, you know, but actually, you know, I guess if I was to do that, I would be wanting to put images of indigenous people in the future in these mm-hmm. spots, mm. right? So I'm not, I mean, I am very interested in, in history, and, and what I find a little bit, what's been surprising to me, but I now realize it's just part of it, is as soon as you start talking about the future, you have to talk about the past. Mm. The future is married to the past, mm. you know, and so you need to know your history to be able to project into the future. That's what it seems like to me anyway. Uh, so, you know, I could definitely see, I could imagine doing a project that had both, but I would really, like, I'd, you know, it would be fun to, like, go to a spot that's like, I don't know, some horrible parking lot or huge, maybe, um, place where, you know, there's a big open pit of mining or something terrible, mm-hmm. and then, you you know, you put, like, when you put on the glasses or you put on your phone and the augmented reality shows, like, you know, jingle dress dancers in the future, you mm. know, dancing all over the spot, you know, mm. like what it could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or maybe. That's yeah. great. I, I like because of what you're saying and because of uh, what I wrote down as you were talking about the future and, and, and uh, looking to the future is that what I wrote down was many of our people are still fighting to catch up or, or fighting those past issues, as we see in some ways, you know, what is happening now um, with, with uh, yes. you know, so we're still trying to deal with that stuff in the past, which is great because you're, you're trying to release uh, Indigenous people from that and, and look to the future, which is fabulous. I, well, like I said, it, you know, it goes hand in hand. I mean, I mm. think that, uh, you know, I'm not sure if we can, we can I, I can't release people. No, <laughs> we have understood. a lot of work to do. Sure. There's a lot of you know, there's a lot of work that still has to be done. Like all, I feel like these you know, these land claims are, are so important, you know, and these the people protecting the land and protecting their rights, you know, mm-hmm. are it's essential that we do that. And so I don't want I wouldn't want I think a, a few times now people have talked about how well now that we're populating cyberspace, we don't have to worry about the the real land. And I'm like, no, 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 I don't, I don't want to say that. That is not where I'm going. Right. You know, but I think there is enough room uh, 
in this whole world and in our thought space, our mind spaces, to imagine other other things, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've I feel I've I've been an activist since I was a teenager. Um, you know, native native activism, uh, anti anti nuclear activism and disarmament. You know, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Um, been to a lot of marches, been to a lot of different things, um, but now I'm doing it. I call what I do now slow motion activism because I'm, you know, making my art and uh, maybe going to a few less uh, a le- less demonstrations than I used to, but I think it's still important, and I think there's there's it's okay, you know, there's room to do that kind of work as well. Mm. Also, teaching the youth, you know, mm. <laughs> I think that's a slow motion activism. Yeah, uh, our time is is getting close to the end, and uh, I just wanted to ask if you, because I see on this uh, on the website, I believe it's the Abtech website that you that. You're looking for uh, graduate students. Yes. Um, so can so we talk about Jason, that a little bit? Because I think it would be great for for youth that are out there that uh, might be interested to uh, know about this. Absolutely. Well, so Jason Edward Lewis, my partner, is a professor at Concordia University. He's in the Department of uh, Design uh, Design and Computation Arts in the um, in the Faculty of Fine Arts. And, um, yes, we have, you know, he basically, he also runs a lab where I also work and other artists and other students, especially, and now we have a lot more Indigenous students. And those, uh, so basically, if you come to Concordia, if you come and um, do a degree at Concordia, you come and find us, and um, we can probably find uh you can come and work in our lab if that's interested, interesting to you. You can work on my projects, on Jason's projects. There are projects in VR going on. Uh, we're, we're always um, doing workshops, these skins workshops. We develop new workshops. So in, in addition to video games, we've also done machinima workshops. We've also done programming workshops. Um, and we just did what we're calling a hacking workshop, just learning how to do, um, you know, stuff. Oh, God, I'm not saying it very well, but I was going to say stuff with stuff. (laughs) But learning how to use sensors and different kind of digital Mm -hmm. objects, you know. Mm -hmm. So all that is to say that we are always looking for, you know, students, especially graduate students, and uh, there's some money there to give you a position as a research assistant. And you can work with us, you can learn from us, you can be around other amazing indigenous artsy types. And, yeah, it would be amazing. Concordia! (laughs) <laughs> now, if, if I can just uh, elaborate there, because I find it interesting of the kind of students you're looking back in the backgrounds, because it's not as narrow as it might indicate uh, from from the kind of work you're doing. So I see, your, you know, art history, humanities, uh, as you said, uh, computation arts, computer science, software, engineering, um, as well as other disciplines. What other kind of disciplines might might uh, work with that? Well, like, so I think you may have already said the arts, which is super broad, but, you know, there's writing. Mm. I mean, there's, uh, we, you know, project managers. I mean, like, people would actually end up managing some of these projects. Um, I can't, uh, let me see. Would architecture I mean, fit in there? Well, uh, I don't know. That's a good question. Mm. Like, um I think that if a person, I don't know if we have an architecture program mm. in, um, uh, I don't, I mean, I know that we don't <laughs> have mm. one at Concordia, but I mean, I, 
I think that there could be ways that people doing architecture could get a big get benefit out of coming mm. to Concordia in uh, maybe doing a Master's of Fine Arts. Mm. Or also, yeah, maybe okay. geography. There's, I mean, I think there's lots of... Uh, there's. So, I feel what I'm learning about different disciplines is they're really expanding and growing. You know, there's, I mean, art education, education, pedagogy, mm. politics. Right. Just thinking. Right. <laughs> okay. Uh, we're going to have to leave it there, but it's been a, a real pleasure speaking with you, and congratulations in all the work that you've accomplished and... Uh, and and uh, opening up uh, people's thinking uh, and and moving this into cyberspace. Uh, congratulations to you and your partner and all the work that you're doing. And, and uh, look forward to uh, seeing and hearing more ab- about the work that you're doing and uh, spreading the word to others. Well, Nyamago, it's been a really real pleasure speaking with you. No, oh, it's, uh, it's been our pleasure to have you. So, uh, yes, Nyamago to you and... Uh, we, we just want to say again that it's uh, been great. I'm going to just give out a little bit more information about you as we sign off. And uh, once again, um, until next time, uh, I do say Nyawa Goa. Onagiwahi. <laughs> Ona. Uh, that is uh, our guest that was on the line, and she is uh, Skowanati, and she was calling in from Montreal, and she is uh, a multimedia artist who also happens to be Mohawk from Ganawage. And uh, she is uh, working at Concordia University in Montreal. And uh, she's involved with many things that you heard us talking about there. So it's been our pleasure to have her on the line. That is our show for today. So uh, thank you for listening. And we'll catch you next time here on Moment of Truth and Element FM. I also want to say Nyawa Miigwech, Wanishi, and thank you to everyone who helps put Moment of Truth together. They include in Ottawa, Jill Kennedy and Caroline O'Neill. In Toronto, Andrew Johnson, Luca Capone, Kathy Zaboken, Andrew St. Germain. Nyawa Miigwech, and thanks for listening.